Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series, Revelation, the end of the beginning. The book of Revelation can be an incredibly confusing and even frightening read, but it wasn't meant to be either. In fact, behind the violent and alarming imagery of Revelation lies a world of beauty as we see the self-sacrificial love of Christ forever triumph over the darkness we encounter all too often in our world. In this series, we take a deeper look at what the disciple John wrote and why, dispel common misconceptions of what it all means, and celebrate our glorious future it promises. Revelation chapter 1. Um, just to give you an idea of who, when, where, what's going on here, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible, 27 uh, in the uh, Old Testament, and 29, no, 39 in the New Testament. Um, 39, no, it's reverse. Yeah, 39 and 27. And so this is the last one. This is the very last one. And it came to a guy, the who here, and, and I guess maybe I should just start by saying this. A lot of you read Revelation as if this is something for later on. If you've been in church, and maybe today you're watching, you've never been a part of church, so Revelation covers future events. It's, it's what we consider apocalyptic literature. Uh, that, that's what they call it. There's another apocalyptic book in the Bible, the book of Daniel. And this word, it's where we get the word apocalypse, right? Uh, the very intro to Revelation says, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This word revelation uh, in the Greek is a apocalypsis. Apocalypsis meaning an unveiling, a, a revealing, like taking the top off of a box and revealing what's to come. It, it reveals future events. And so we read it sometimes, and I'm afraid that many of us don't read it as often as we should because we think it's for later on. No, what would be any good in putting a book in the Bible that's not good for today? Right? Why would John have written this in 96, in the year 96? That's it. There's no numbers before it. It's just year 96. After Christ, CE, if it wasn't pertinent to them today. And so, actually, today we're going to look at just a section of chapter one. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to work our way through Revelation. But this is for now. This is for today. This will impact your life today. It will not just impact what you see coming, but it will impact you today. And if you don't allow it to, then you're missing the point. Now, Revelation, it says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the other thing I need to point out to you is this. The whole book reveals Jesus the whole point of the book, while it's got apocalyptic literature, is known for its wild symbols and, and, and very odd, if you've read any part of this book, some odd pictures. It's not meant to be taken literally. No, apocalyptic literature is written to, to 
means something to the people of this time. So that's the way we have to read it. They would have read all of these descriptors and all of these pictures as certain things from the Old Testament that they would have remembered and drawn from. It's apocalyptic. It's the end time. So for those today who uh, maybe are fearful of the book, I, I, my, my hope is that at the end of this series, you would be warmed up to it and see the value in it for today. And for those um, who just really, this book you love, uh, we're going to get into all the nitty gritty of it. Um, but the whole point is to see Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. So, written by John. John is the last remaining disciple at this point. John is the last remaining apostle. Uh, one of the original guys that walked around with Jesus. Written in 96, the year 96 CE. And it's written from an island called Patmos. Everybody say Patmos. We'll get into Patmos in here in a little bit. To who is it written? Is it written to you and I? Kind of. But directly, it's written to the churches of Asia Minor. Okay? Um, this was seven churches, which would be modern-day Turkey. So if you're looking at a, at a globe or looking at a map, and uh, some of you right out front, you're probably going to think, oh, this is going to be a snooze fest. No, it's going to get very interesting. Um, but the churches of Asia Minor, seven churches in Asia Minor written to them. Um, and actually, chapter one is going to kind of break down what Christ, what Jesus Christ is doing in his church right now. So when John is writing this, he's writing this very first chapter to show what Jesus Christ is doing in his church, the work. That's going on. And in chapters two and three, that's where we meet all the churches he's writing to. It's his word to the church. So, chapter one is his work in, everybody say in the church. And then chapters two and three are his word to the church. Um, and if I were to paint a picture of what the church looked like when this is written, I would describe it as extreme persecution. Now, in America, we, I don't know that we fully understand what extreme persecution is. Um, but just to point out, the, the apostles, John, is the last one when he's writing this. They were systematically hunted down and killed. Peter was hung upside down. On a cross, many beheaded. They were hunted down and killed. The church was under attack. Um, we see here in verse 9 of chapter 1, if you want to look, he says, I, John, am your brother and partner in suffering. He's suffering with them. The church is, um, and actually, the reason he's in Patmos, Patmos is jail. Okay, so back then, depending on your crime, uh, the highest crimes, you were exiled to an island. Patmos being a, one of these penal islands. One of 50. There were 50 at the time. 
It was 10 miles long, five miles wide, and it was really just a big rock, crescent-shaped rock. And, and he was sent here to Patmos. Why? We see it here in verse 9. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. This is what persecution looks like. It was a crime for me to do exactly what I am doing this morning. Or if you were to be at your workplace and testify about what Jesus had done in you, you would be exiled. So read with me just for a minute. We're going to read kind of the main text we're going to look at today, uh, 10 through 20. Just so just read this with me. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 10. John, we find John here. He's uh, on Patmos, and he says this. It was the Lord's day, so it was Sunday. And I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. It said, write a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 12, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held the seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first, the last I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Verse 19, write down what you have seen, both things that are happening now, everybody say now, and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand in the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, all my sci-fi people are really excited about this series because this has the imagery of something wild. Something unseen before. And John is obviously overwhelmed with this. This is the opening vision. This is his opening vision. 
Um, and his vision is of Jesus Christ or someone like him. And the, what this depicts and what I want you to pick up on today, and I want this phrase to stick on your heart, is that the Lord is at work in his church. The Lord is at work in his church. This text would have come, these words would have come as comfort to John. Have you ever been walking through a time of persecution or being hated on or, I don't know, maybe somebody's been coming after your life. Have you ever made someone so mad they've they've come after you? Not yet. Don't try it. Um, I've never experienced it, but... uh, there are times that we face that are challenging. Everybody say challenging. I'm trying to make sure you stay awake here. And these words to John would have come as a comfort. There is nothing in hard times that, re- that replaces words of comfort when you need them. From the one who can, uh, who can make them work. Have you ever had somebody try and comfort you, but you knew what they were saying wasn't any good? Yeah. It's okay to say that. Um, There are certain people you know when you talk to them, their words are no good to you. These words are good to you, and these will be a comfort to you. The Lord is at work in his church. And John here, just to give you some perspective, is in the midst of the worst kind of persecution. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, he had every reason to be depressed. He's 90 years old. 90. He's sent to an island to be banished. That's where he's going to die. He realizes this. He's not leaving. There's no expiration date here. He will die right where he's at. He's 90 years old. He had lived to see Jerusalem completely destroyed at this point. This had happened probably 20, 25 years earlier. Jerusalem completely destroyed. He watched hundreds of thousands of Jews get slaughtered. As the Romans overtook, they started there in Rome, and they went through Israel and demolished the temple all the way to the ground. He had seen all of this. Completely obliterated 985 towns. This is what he had witnessed. And many of these towns, he had pastored in. He was a pastor. He was a pastor. And specifically, he was the pastor over Asia Minor. So he had pastored these seven churches. Um, He had seen all of this tragedy and, and honestly, he had also witnessed the tragedy within these churches. Have you ever seen churches that couldn't get it right? Seemed all jumbled up? You ever been a part of one? I have. Is that okay to say? I've been a part of some churches get a little hairy, get a little wild. And can I tell you, as long as people are involved, church is always going to be hairy. As long as you're here, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll preach. It will. Ephesus. So of the seven churches... Five of them had taken a complete dive. 
churches John had helped start. And it actually started in Ephesus. And then these other seven churches kind of birthed out of the church of Ephesus. And you know what? You know what happened to Ephesus? Ephesus lost, and we'll see this in chapters 2 and 3. Ephesus lost their first love. And the Lord was threatening to shut them down. Think about this. A church that is so lost and so distorted that the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to have to shut you down. God, help us that we don't get there. And you know it's only by his spirit. uh, Pergamos had become idolatrous and immoral, and the Lord was going to bring a fight to them. Let me tell you something. You do not want the Lord to bring a fight to you. You realize that? You do not want the creator of the universe that with one word created everything you see. With one word, just the breath that gives life. You don't want to get in a fight with him. Thyatira had started to compromise with sin. Sardis was completely dead. And Laodicea? Nauseating. The church that was in Laodicea made the Lord sick with their lukewarmness. That's a completely separate message, but can I just give you a preview and tell you that the Lord would rather you be hot or cold. It makes him sick, the people that ride the fence. The people that say, oh, I'm going to live this way on Sunday, and I'm going to live for the devil the rest of the week. I won't even give the Lord a second thought when I'm not at church. It makes him sick. Now, he's writing to believers, not non-believers. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to Christians. So the five churches, he had, he's sitting here in Patmos, this rock, rocky cliff banished there, which was common practice. And also before John, so John had witnessed all of this. Before he even got banished to this island, you know what they did? They would scourge you. Now scourging means they they beat the tar out of you first. They would take all your possessions and take all your civil rights and then they'd ship you over there. And not just to rot in a cave, but to work in rock quarries. Can you imagine being 90 years old, serving your life for the Lord, watching all of it come crashing down, and then you you keep preaching the gospel and you land at 90 years old with a pickaxe, breaking up rocks, sleeping on the floor with very little clothes, and bound in chains. This is the picture. This is when he gets this revelation of all times. This is when he gets it. It was a bleak time. And can I tell you, while the persecution may look different, I think the church today faces some serious persecution. The church in America, the church globally. You realize people are still killed overseas for preaching the gospel. This, I, you, you may have felt some persecution, but it was a bleak time. 
not how he thought this thing was going to work out. You know how they thought it was going to work out? John and the rest of the apostles thought when Jesus comes, he's going to bring a new kingdom and the Ro- he's going to overthrow the Roman government. And instead, John ends up on the floor of a cave, worn out, in shackles, barely clothed, barely fed, all his churches in demise that he had helped start. It's not how he thought it would work out. Man, let me tell you something. I have been in places where I thought, man, is this really how this is supposed to work out? But then the Lord came to him and said, there is a future. Can I tell you something? The most encouraging thing about this book is, one, it recognizes and helps me understand how to deal with persecution in light of glory. And light that this is not it. This is not the end. There's a future. Hear me today online and in this room. This is not it. It may be bleak. It may get rough. It may. You may experience some of what you think is some of the greatest joys of your life here. And it will not scratch the surface of what is to come for the believer. The story isn't over at persecution. This would have been encouraging to them. Look here in verse 4. This letter is from John uh, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ... He is the faithful witness to these things. The first, the protocos, to rise from the dead. The very first one and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us. Everybody say, he loves us. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests For God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. This is an encouragement to these churches that are failing. These churches that are falling apart. You hear me, McKinley? It's an encouragement to you. So let's look at a couple things here. So. If chapter 1 is his work in the church and chapters 2 and 3 are his word to the church, let's just see how he's working. Everybody say, work it out. Verse 10. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping. Now, after Jesus Christ came back to life is when Christians started worshiping on Sundays. The Jewish community still worships on Saturdays. But it was on the third day he rose. And so that's when Christians were celebrating and worshiping. They called it the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit. Now what this means, and let me clear up any confusion here. What John is about to tell us about in the coming visions, there are 12 visions that he has. There's 12 of them. Um, And of the 12 visions, listen, he's not having a dream. There's this concept that Revelations is some dream that John had. John had no dream. He was transported to another dimension. Like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, 
like Paul, he was transported to another dimension. We see later, um, uh, he says uh, in chapter 4, because 1, 2, and 3 deal with the now. Okay, starting in chapter 4, so in a couple weeks, he starts having visions about what's to come. And when he has those visions, the Lord says, come up here with me. When he says he's in the spirit, he was pulled away to another dimension. This wasn't a dream. He wasn't asleep. He was wide awake. And he said he heard like a trumpet voice. It wasn't like a trumpet sounded, but the the voice was loud and and attention-getting. Have you ever had a trumpet blown in your ear? No? Okay. I I was in band uh, in middle school. Y'all didn't know that, did you? I probably shouldn't have aired that out. I should have just left that, uh, said something else. But uh, I was in band, and uh, I played percussion. Yeah, see? Now listen, y'all are like, oh, you're cooler than I thought you were. You bet your bottom dollar I am. Yeah, I got rhythm. I played the roto-toms. <laughs> I don't know why my family's laughing at me. Uh, do, you know what, do you know what the roto-toms are? Okay, so you have quads, and those are where cool kids play. Roto-toms are what the nerds play in orchestra. So the quads, you know, they, they, they have drums all around them. And, and they, ne- they never look down. That wasn't me. No. I had three toms. And as the orchestra would play and key changes would happen... I'd get over here at these three toms, and every key change, I knew the exact amount to turn those toms, and I would tune them to the next key in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I know you're impressed. Well, we had chairs back there, and so I would oftentimes, I would sit down when, you know, other pieces of the orchestra were playing. I fell asleep. It was an accident. So the band director at the time comes up around me with the whole trumpet section. Yeah. Oh, you know what's coming. Yeah. I did not. I did not know what was coming. And they got, and I don't know what note it was, but whatever it is, it sent me into another dimension. I just come up out of that chair. I thought, he's coming. The Lord is here. This is it. I'm trying to get up off the ground. All the sin holding me down. <laughs> Take me now, Jesus. You see this trumpet picture all through the Bible. And you actually see it multiple times. We'll see it multiple times here in Revelation. But when the Lord speaks, let me tell you something. It gets your attention. That's the point. When it got his attention, it was loud, it was commanding, it was authoritative. He heard a trumpet. Verse 11, he says, write this down. Um, 
Write in a book everything you see. So he has 12 visions. Um, Of the 12 visions, after each one, the Lord says, write it down. Everybody say, write it down. Except for one in chapter 10, verse 4, he says, don't write it. We'll find out why later. To the seven churches. Now, the number seven is, is synonymous throughout Scripture with completion. The Lord completed the earth in seven days. In six days, he rested on the seventh. And so this picture, while it is directly to seven churches, it is to represent all the complete, his church, the body of Christ. Now listen, it's also, and I don't know if you knew this, but the way, they li- the way it's listed in Scripture is actually in postal order, in postal route order. So um, he wrote, now listen, when he said write it down, he wrote a letter to each one of these churches, and then this book of Revelation, all these visions, each church got a book. So there's no copy machine on Patmos. There's no copy machine. He wrote Revelation seven times. And these messengers, these angels, would deliver them to their respective churches. Now, let's look at kind of some of this symbolic stuff, and then, and then I'm going to close. So, In verse 12, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. So evidently, John is got his back turned towards the voice. And when he turns around to see who it is, he sees these lampstands, okay? Um, Now, a lampstand is basically a stand that a lamp sits on. I'm just making sure you're awake. I'm putting two to two. It's not real complicated, the lamps, they had little floating wicks in them. And, and obviously, uh, in the house, if you needed to light up your house, you wouldn't put it on the floor. You would set it up on a lampstand, okay? And so he say, sees these seven lampstands representing these seven churches. And can I tell you something? What he's also pointing to is that churches are the light of Christ within the community, Every church, Ephesus, Laodicea, wherever it was located, the church is meant to be a beacon of light set on a lampstand. This is what he threatened one church with. He said, I will take away your lampstand. I'm going to take away your influence because you are not being a light to the community. So listen, not all churches are great lights. My prayer is that this church would be a light into the community. It's okay, McKinley. We'll get it together. Everybody say, wake up. Okay, just making sure. I was only about half of you. The church is the light of um, the community. Each church, each community. And he designates that they're gold. Okay? Something of value. You know, the The Christ we serve values the church. He values you and I. Some of us, I think, have a concept that God looks at us with some type of disdain. But you know, for the believer, you know what Christ sees when he looks at you? You know what God sees when he looks at you? 
the blood of Jesus Christ poured all over you. It's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness imputed to me. You are valuable to him. Verse 13. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Okay? So picture this. We've got seven lampstands. I should have brought some lampstands. But if the lampstands were in a circle, right in the middle of it was someone he recognized. But it wasn't the Jesus he had seen. You see, he, he had seen Jesus in the flesh. He had seen him on the cross. He had seen it. But this was different. He saw something completely different. What he saw was the glorified version of Jesus. Not a fleshly Jesus, a completely glorified Jesus. Where was Jesus? This, like the Son of Man, he was right in the middle of the church. Right in the middle of his churches. Right in the middle of all the mess. So think about what this is communicating to these seven churches, five of which are falling apart. What a comfort to know that he's right in the middle of it. What a comfort to know that he is standing right in the middle of it. The Lord is at work in the church. Which is comforting considering the persecution. Let's get into some of these uh, descriptors here. So he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. Now robes were worn by uh, the, uh, the nobility. They were worn by kings. But this particular robe was different. Had a gold sash. You know who wore gold sashes? Now this is going to preach to you. So look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Wake up. The men that would wear robes with gold sashes were high priests. Designating. The very first thing that I want to tell you is, what is he doing in the church today? He is our, he's actively, currently being our high priest. Actively being, interceding for us. Hebrews would say that he is a faithful and understanding, a sympathetic high priest. He's interceding for you and I. This is one thing he is currently doing in the church. In verse 14, we see that he's purifying his church. If we look at verse 14, it says his head and his hair were white like wool, just Completely pure. Completely clean. As white as snow, as scripture says. His eyes were like flames of fire. This picture of his eyes seeing and purifying his church. Did you know you cannot hide anything from the Lord? What he's trying to communicate here is the Lord sees it all. He sees the you that you put on in front of me, and he sees the you that's at home. He sees the you when no one else is around. In fact, he sees the you that's below your skin. He sees your soul. He sees your heart. These eyes of fire are meant to purify us to the core level. And then we see this picture of his feet, polished bronze, this would immediately, in that day, have brought to the church the picture of a king. Back then, 
Kings would sit up above people. So when people were brought to them, um, people would come up to the king and they would probably stand about this level right here and they would kneel down. And when they would look up, you know what they would see? His feet. That's what they would see. This judgment seat. Nobody likes to talk about judgment. But the Lord is after a pure church. He's after a He's after a church without blemish. We see seven stars. Oh, let me, let me not miss this. In 15, uh, at the end, it says, And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. John is sitting on a rock where the ocean is pounding. Have you ever been somewhere? Have, how many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Anybody? Anybody been to Niagara? Okay. You know that roar of the fall, the beating of water against the rocks? And in this, he says, mighty ocean waves. His voice thundered. God is speaking to his church. You know, he didn't just stop speaking right here. He speaks today. He speaks to our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Yes, his word is our one piece of authority. But can I tell you, he whispers to the heart of you and I today. In verse 16, we see where he provides leaders. And then he also protects his church. We see a two-edged sword in verse 16. A sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. Now look, John has seen all these things. So he's seen and, and what this would speak to John is, one, I have a sympathetic high priest. So the Lord is a high priest. He's purifying his church. He's speaking to his church. He provides leaders, those seven stars, to his church. He protects his church with a two-edged sword. He sees all this. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd probably have the similar response. In verse 17, it says, when I saw him. Oh, let me not forget this piece right here. At the end of 16, it says, And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. He will be glorified in his church. He will be glorified in his church. What I'm trying to get in your interworkings this morning is to who John is sending this to, who the Lord is speaking to, and what state they were currently in. Persecuted, hunted down, their church is falling apart. And yet John says, hey, listen, right in the middle of it is Jesus Christ, and he's going to protect us. He's going to defend us. He's going to purify us. Don't worry about it. He's, he's, he's interceding for us. He's working it all out. There's a future in store. Don't worry about what you're seeing. Look to, look to Jesus. That's what he's getting at. So John, at the, at the sight of all this, fell over. Fell over. And really should be our response to his holiness. 
I think a lot of us maybe enter into prayer and seeking his presence with some type of he owes me. Or he's like some genie in a bottle that I can rub and here he comes. Listen, at the sight of Jesus, I, like many of the the prophets, would say, oh, the sin. It should reveal in us how inept we are and how much we need him. And so John fell on his face. And then we see this beautiful section right here at the end, and I'm about to close. In verse 17, but he laid his right hand on me. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I think many of us could use that today. Just the right hand of the Lord speaking to your spirit. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. What do you think? Why would this be a comfort to John? John, who's laying in this cave, knowing he's going to die here, knowing death is imminent at some point. He's 90 years old. He's working on rocks. They're not feeding him. They're not clothing him. They've got him chained up. He's laying out in the elements. Listen, here's the comfort. Jesus says, don't be afraid because I have the keys to death and the grave. Don't be afraid to die. Don't be afraid about what's coming next because I've already claimed the victory on the cross. I've already died. Don't worry about it. I hold the keys. And there is no grave that can hold your body here on Patmos. Hey, what a comfort. What a comfort. We have nothing to fear. Hear me, saint, today. You have nothing to fear. Listen to me, non-Christian. In the room or online, there is a way to remove any fear of death. There's a way. Yeah. Because this soul goes on and there's a man named Jesus who died and rose again to make a way for you and I to be reconciled to God. So that when this body passes on, I, I don't have to be afraid because he holds the keys. He's got control. And then what does he say? After he comforts him, Shows him all this about how he's, he's, he's a high priest for the church and he's protecting the church. He, he picks him up. And this is what he says in verse 19. Write down what you have seen. Both the things that are now happening. And we'll get to this in chapter 4 and beyond. But what's to come? Basically, he said, John... Get to work. Get to work. Dust yourself off and do what I'm calling you to do. Write it down. Send it to the churches. I think the Lord would have that message for you and I today. As we kind of launch into Revelation, 
Listen. He's interceding for you right now. This very moment, you, believer, he's interceding for you. He has not left you. He is right in the middle of it. And you can do all of these things. You can do what I've called you to do without fear. He's on Patmos for preaching and testifying about Jesus. You think it's wise for him to send out letters doing the same thing that put him there? No. He said, but don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Today, I don't know if what the Lord has called you to, but I think the Lord sent me here and placed you in that pew or you listening online to tell you something. One, you don't have to be afraid. Number two, Jesus Christ is right in the middle of what's going on. and He has not left you. And number three, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. There is a testimony to tell. There are things that we need to say. There's a Jesus we need to be talking about. We need to start writing it down. We need to start speaking up. And we don't need to be afraid to do it. Why? What's the worst thing? Let me tell you what the best thing could happen to me. Let them kill me. Send me home early. Now listen, don't don't call the psych ward. Folks that aren't Christian may not get it. Folks that don't know the Lord might not get it. But they... My... There was a, there was a song I used to sing. Um, what key are you in? F? Can you go to C? It went like this. And, and as I was preaching this, as I was studying for this, this is the only thing that came to mind. When I think about all that I'm going through right now, but that there's future, I don't have to be afraid. I remember they used to sing this in my, my grandfather's church. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I'm there be spoken and time won't matter anymore if you know what sing it Beulah I'm longing for you and so you 
I've never been there. And I don't know when I'm going. But I've never longed for a place more in my life than to be in heaven. That's what they call Beulah Land. So Beulah Land to some of you might sound foreign. But I can't wait to see my Jesus face to face. I love my wife. I love my kids. But I'm so glad that Revelation tells me one story. And that's because of Jesus. This is not it for me. And it doesn't have to be it for you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.